live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Coronavirus taking many lives. We just hit the, the 100 death mark in Wisconsin, which, you know, it's, it's a round number that you, you don't want to hit at. The, it, the, the, only, the only good news is two weeks ago, the, the State Department of Health said if we weren't doing social distancing, they had models that predicted that by today, we'd be looking at between 400 and 1,400 deaths. And we'd be looking at 22,000 reported cases of coronavirus. Right now, we're around 2,700. So if you're looking for at least a little bit of a silver lining, and there's no silver lining in anybody passing away, it's that the model, either social distancing is working, and I think it is, People are taking it seriously. And also, I think one of the things that you're seeing is that some of the, these models that they were using maybe two weeks ago aren't aren't as relevant or aren't as accurate. And that's a good thing because, you know, 100 deaths are, are awful. 400 deaths or 1,400 would have been a lot worse. But we, it's, it's, a, it's a round number. It's a bad round number. Interestingly, the majority of those deaths, I think 56 of the 100 in the state of Wisconsin, have come from Milwaukee County. And the majority of those, I believe, have come from the city of Milwaukee. So I, I, we're starting to see some sort of patterns. And, and hopefully we can use those patterns and figure out, okay, where, where is the surge going to be, if there's going to be a surge, and how can we direct our, our medical attention and treatment to make sure that the people who are in the areas most likely to be at the hardest will, in, in fact, get the, the help that they need. More on that a little bit later. Um, I, I, if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I sent out a couple tweets about this yesterday. It, all life is important. And just because somebody is moderately famous who's passed away doesn't mean their life is any more valuable than somebody who, you know, only is only known to the family and friends. So it, it's not that. But, but it does get your attention when... People who have, even though you haven't known them, but they've been a part of your life for for decades and decades, pass away. And to that point, um, last night, Chicago, originally from Chicago, singer-songwriter John Prine passed away at the age of, of 73. If you've never heard of John Prine, I understand, because for years and years and years, John Prine was sort of a, it was almost like a cult. It, it's it's a nice cult, but, but John Prine was a mailman in Chicago in the late 60s, started writing songs while he was on his mail route. In the early 70s, he started performing at some of the, the folk clubs in Chicago. He was ultimately discovered by Chris Christofferson and, and went on to, you know, for the last 50 years, he's been touring the country, the world, a lot of connections, a lot of shows in Wisconsin over the years. And, and my guess is, if you've heard about John Prine, you, you know him and, and you love the guy 
guy's music. He, he really never, for himself, had a, had a number one hit, but he's written a lot of songs that went on to be hits for other people. But I think, especially over the last like 15 or 20 years, I think he, he's in the industry, he's been recognized as one of the truly great American folk singer song writers and, and like i say it's he, he's he was a regular for years and he's been a regular for years and years playing various towns in wisconsin um i i, I on on my twitter account at, at jeff wagner 620 i've got a, a couple different things including a, a sort of a primer for john prine songs if you've never heard of john prine there's a couple listings of, of like the top 10 John Prine songs, and like reasonable people can certainly disagree about that. But I've got a link that you could check out if you follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 to some of those songs. It's sort of interesting, and this kind of ties in with my, my fondness of pop culture. My guess is you've had this experience as well. There are certain performers, certain musicians, and this is the effect that music has on people's lives, who you remember distinctly where you were when you first heard their music. And, and, and we all have different performers. I, the, the two, of course, that stick out in my mind, and I, Jimmy Buffett, huge Jimmy Buffett fan, I distinctly remember where I was and what record it was and how I first found out about this. Same thing was true with John Prine. For me, it was 1975 in a hotel room, um, and there was a guy from Marshall University in West Virginia who had a guitar and he started playing songs and he was playing John Prine songs and I'd never heard of any of these this is 1975 and all of a sudden it was like my god this is these these are incredible and so then I went out and bought I think he'd had two or three albums at the time and then it was just a fan for for life one of my most vivid recollections and this is this is the power of music and it's the power of concerts and it's it's why we, we're drawn to places like Summerfest, and we're drawn to Alpine Valley, and we're drawn to the shows, the live music, because it makes such an impression on you. I, I sent this out on my Twitter account. I, I saw at least 25 John Prine concerts, the, and probably more, but over, over the years, at least 25. He used to perform regularly at Summerfest, and during the 70s and early 80s, he'd also be joined by the late Steve Goodman, who was a, a singer-songwriter, folk singer out of Chicago, um, who passed away from leukemia in 1984. But I, it's it's so funny because I, I have this. I don't go back and look at old photos very often. I'm, I'm just I'm not a guy that lives in the past. But I, I will never forget this. It was the Fourth of July, I believe, 1983. And I, we spent the day floating on inner tubes out at a friend of mine's, his uncle's house in Pewaukee Lake. And it was, it was out on Pewaukee Lake. It's the 4th of July. It's, it's like 90 degrees, so you're floating in inner tubes in Pewaukee Lake, and you're getting sunburned and sweaty and hot and all. John Prine was playing at Summerfest that night with Steve Goodman. So what we did is we, you know, okay, get out of the lake. You know, we've been out in the sun all day. Drive down to the Summerfest grounds to see the, the John Prine-Steve Goodman show. And it was one of those nights that you get in Milwaukee with Wisconsin from time to time where the wind shifts and instead of coming from the south or wherever the wind shifts off the lake and I swear to God I will never forget this the the temperature dropped 40 degrees 
in the space of, oh, about 20, 25 minutes. So there we're all kind of standing there, and, and we're dressed like in shorts and T-shirts and things like that. You've got this sunburn, and all of a sudden the wind has shifted. It's blowing off the lake, and it's gone from a wonderful, I don't know, 80 degrees to wind chill in the 40s or whatever. I don't think I've ever been colder in my life, but it was still just this tremendous show. And it just, it kind of sticks in in my mind. Froze my butt off, but but loved the show. So uh, John Prine, who's had a number of health problems over the last several years, two bouts with cancer, but still continued performing. Um, uh, who's in Madison, I think, last fall, for example. Um, just a, a great performer and somebody, if, if you've never heard his music, I would encourage you to, to do that. Like I say, it's kind of a cult, but it's, uh, it's, it's a nice cult. And uh, he touched a lot of lives. He passed away due to COVID-19 yesterday. Um, and it's, it's just, again, it's unfortunate. Never knew him, but just followed his career for the better part of, well, you know, almost 50 years. And it's one of these things he will, in fact, be missed. Okay, when we come back, an aide or at least an advisor to Joe Biden says, we're not getting out of this coronavirus mess anytime soon. We better be prepared. Are we prepared, and do you agree? I will explain, and we will discuss in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We will be talking about the election, what happened yesterday, and what it means for November coming up uh, in the 1 o'clock hour of the program. All right. In in some areas of the country that have been particularly hit hard by coronavirus, the the, the, the governors, for example, are starting to talk optimistically because I think the think is the thinking is that maybe the the worst of this is over at least in the short run. But l- let's understand something: that coronavirus is not going to go away. What we're talking about now is trying to. I know, stop the spread of it, not eliminate it, but stop the spread enough that hospitals aren't overwhelmed to give us an opportunity to catch up on the, the masks and the gowns and the ventilators and the hospital space. I mean, th- that's, that's what we're doing right now because coronavirus is not going to go away until we either develop herd immunity, which means that Probably 60-plus percent of the population has gotten it in some form, so they, they are immune to it. Or until we develop a vaccine, which is probably 12 to 18 months away. Or we develop at least some, some effective sort of treatment for it. You know, like, like nowadays, you, you've got flu shots, you've got the flu vaccine. That doesn't guarantee that somebody's not going to get the flu, but you do have certain prescription drugs that you can give. What is it, is it Tamiflu that you can get that if you take it early enough, it doesn't cure the flu, but it minimizes the symptoms. But until we develop that, and, and those are months off, best case scenario, getting a, a treatment is months off and, and probably getting a vaccine is a year to a year and a half away. So coronavirus is going to be a part of our lives. The question becomes, how do we deal with this? Well, there's a guy named Zeke Emanuel, who is one of the health advisors for Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden, and he was one of the guys that worked with the Obama administration in trying to develop the Affordable Care Act. Well, okay, he, he's out, 
And here's what his message is. He says, look, he says, Americans need to realize that they're going to have to be dealing, we are going to be have to dealing with strict social distancing measures to combat coronavirus for 18 months and that we're not going to be able to return to any sense of normalcy until we find a vaccine or effective medications. He says, so here, here's just the bottom line. I know it's dreadful news to hear. How are people supposed to find work if this goes on for a year and a half? Is all the economic pain worth trying to stop COVID-19? This is what he says. The truth is we have no choice. We cannot return to normal until there's a vaccine. Conferences, concerts, sporting events, religious services, dinner in a restaurant, none of that can resume until we find a vaccine, a treatment, or a cure. We need to prepare ourselves for this to last at least 18 months, and we need to prepare ourselves for the toll that it will take. So in other words, this doctor is saying, look, this is the real restaurants, dine-in aspects of restaurants, don't plan on going out for months. Sporting events, don't plan on, on doing that. Any sort of laws, large gatherings, conferences, etc., isn't going to happen. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's tee this up. I understand the analysis, because I, I get it. This disease is going to, to be there, because right now we're, we're working on cures, we're working on prevention, but we don't have it, and we're probably not going to have it for a while. So here is my question to you. Are you prepared to have this country largely shut down for the next six months, 12 months, 18 months? No dining in restaurants. No, no conferences, no getting together to play softball in, in the parks, no, no gatherings of any particular size. Are, are we, as a country, are we as a society willing to do that? And what would the economic, what does that mean economically? If we say to, again, let's just take the example of dine-in restaurants, if we say all of you are essentially going to be shut down, one way, yeah, you can do the takeout food and stuff, but you're, you're going to be shut down. All the bars around, you know, you're not going to be able to open. I mean, is in, this, in that situation, is the, is the cure worse than the disease? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This particular advisor to Joe Biden is saying, hey, look, we've got to be prepared. We're not going to be able to reopen the country for probably 18 months. I just don't see how that is practical. But let's discuss. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, You know, it seems to me, and there's a piece in the New York Times about this, it seems to me, the, the idea of keeping the state or the country closed down for 18 months, it, it's, it's a non-starter. That, that's just the reality. The economic devastation that it will cause you know, has, has, its own, has its own problems. What I have to think, wh- where I think you have to do is I think you've got to concentrate on a couple things. First of all, 
we need to have enough tests available so that you can test everybody who has symptoms because you got to know who has coronavirus. And I understand it, 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 there, there's a lagging indicator and people might be carriers for, for a time before they have symptoms. But, you know, if somebody presents with symptoms, you got to test to find out, do they in fact have coronavirus so you know if you can quarantine them. Secondly, I, I think you have to be able to monitor the confirmed cases and the contacts. You know, you, you have to be able to have a system set up so we can track, you know, who has tested positive. You know, third, I, I think that you have to look at the hospitals. Part of this whole flattening the curve is trying to make sure that the that the disease does not spread so fast that it overwhelms the medical system. And that's why it's key to getting the tests and getting, again, the personal protective gear and all that. But but people are going to be getting this for 18 months. But but yet we got to go back and start going about our, our lives. You just want to make sure that so many people aren't getting it that it, again, overwhelms the, the hospital system um, and requires people to, you know, do stuff outside the ordinary standard of care. At least that's my thinking. 855-616-1620. Janet on the north side. Janet, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Charlie. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think? I think two weeks is about my limit. I'm 62, <laughs> and I didn't wait until I was 62 to sit in the house. This is not living. This is existing. And I believe yeah. there's more people like me who are not going to go by those rules. It's crazy. What kind of life? It's a third world country. I mean, we will have nothing left. Nothing. Well, I, I do think it's going to be more challenging to get people to accept some of these stay-at-home orders as the weather gets a little bit nicer. I mean, right? You know, right now. It, it's fine, but as the, as the weather gets nicer and more and more people want to get outside, I, I think it's going to be tougher collectively to try to enforce this. But okay, Janet, you're, you're, I mean, you're 62 years old. Sound like a smart lady. The you know that they say that you know older people and I'm, look, I'm, I saw so I'm, you know we're in the same kind of general age group. You know, you're we're, we're more at risk than somebody who's in their 20s or 30s. Aren't you afraid that maybe if you if you went out and you went to a restaurant or something, you might pick this up and then have severe consequences? No, I can cross the street the way people drive these days and get run over faster than I'm going right. to catch the disease. I think. I don't think I live a good health health that healthy life. I wash my hands. I've always had good hygiene. So I'm, I guess I wasn't really worried about it to begin with. And, right. and I think there's other stuff that'll kill us first. Okay. Thanks for the call, Janet. I, I appreciate it. I mean, that's, there, there is this individual choice. Now I will say this. I, I think even after we get a vaccine and a treatment, I, I think this, I, I think moving forward, especially with vulnerable populations, the the nursing homes. I mean, okay, for example, we we just hit the hundred death mark, and and most of those deaths, not all, but most of those deaths come with people who had like pre-existing and severe health situations. You know, several of the deaths in Ozaki County occurred because you had people that were, I believe, in a hospice in a in a nursing home who and and the, the virus came through there. I, I do think for particularly vulnerable populations, the rules are perhaps going to be different than they are for people who are otherwise healthy. I guess, again, I just go back to this notion. I, I don't think it's practical that we can say, we're, we're not going to allow people to to gather. We're going to 
Look, sports is the least of the thing. But if you're listening to this, I mean, I, I, closing down professional sports in this country, closing down amateur sports in this country for a year and a half, I, I just don't think that that is a practical solution. At some point in time, there, there's got to be a risk-reward balancing and then let people make the choice. And as I was saying earlier, I, I think even when you make <clears throat> let people make that choice, there, there's going to be an impact on businesses because if, if Governor Evers you know, lifts the safer-at-home order in, in two weeks, I don't think that that means that people are automatically going to be jumping on airplanes or that people are going to be, you know, running out to bars or to restaurants. I think it's going to be a slower process, slower for some people than others, as people get comfortable going back and being in public. Let's talk to Joe and Racine. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. When do we when do we get back to normal and how do we get back to normal? Well, you know, that that's that's the million dollar question, I think. Uh you know, I'm a truck driver who travels around the Midwest and all these different states that I go into, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, these safer at homes or stay at homes, there's hardly very little abiding by this. I was in Indianapolis, south of Indianapolis yesterday. And there were people all over the place, like it was a regular day. The temperature was 80. And I think yeah. if they want to curb this, they're going to have to get strict on this. But as far as your question on can this last for 18 months, I don't think so. And think about it like this. If the people who live in the restaurant or work in the restaurant industry right now are totally shut down, the bars, the bowling alleys, and so on and yeah. so forth, who, who their businesses are completely shut down, what happens in six months when they can't pay their bills? Now they're out of their business. Next thing you know, they're out of their homes. They're living on the streets. What's going to happen yeah. with the world if that kind of happens? Well, well right. And what, I mean, and, and I tell you, your, your example was six months. I think for a lot of places, it, you're, you're looking at 30 days. You're looking at 60 days. I mean, you know, I mean, six months, yeah, but I, I think it's even a um, even more immediate thing than that. I, I think... You know, I, I, I just think at some point in time we have to say, okay, there's a risk-reward thing, and we have to appreciate that there's a, there's a huge risk to not allowing businesses to reopen, to not allow that dog groomer to go back into business, to not allow the picture-framing shop to open up. I, I just I think we... And, and I'm not saying it has to happen today or, or tomorrow or a week from now, but you, you can't go on a month. You can't go on two months. You certainly can't go on 18 months. It's We're not going to have anything to open up. <laughs> You are absolutely correct, and I've been listening to your show now. I've, I've been traveling a lot between Chicago and Milwaukee lately, so I've been catching your show a lot more than I had in the past. But you know, a lot of your, a lot of your stories and your segments are, are right on point. I mean, <laughs> you can't downplay you can't downplay the, the seriousness of this, but you know, you can't really you know harness people in their homes for as long as they're talking about it. The people will just go stir crazy nuts. Yeah, right, right. Thanks to call Joe. And, and to your point, at some point in time, you know, people say that's that's enough because uh, and, and we're going to have the challenges as the weather gets nicer. I've got a story we're going to talk about uh, hopefully sometime during the program about a guy who got busted for playing t-ball with his six-year-old daughter in a park and there's this whole term that's developing it's called the um virus vigilantes you know folks who are calling turning in their neighbors for being out in public and again i i, I always hesitate to do these 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 conversations 
because I understand some people think I'm downplaying the significance of coronavirus, and I'm really not, but there is, there is a flip side to, to this. And for everybody who says, well, if, if, it's, if it only saves one life, it's worth it. Well, again, there, there are risks that are associated with going out and, and living life. There, there are risks, and the question is, where, where do you end up getting that balancing, and where does that come in? But for anybody who thinks that you know, we're going to have to tell people, you've got to stay in your houses, or you've got to stay in your apartments, or we're not going to let you go to work. Now, I understand that there's some people, if, if you work for the government, you know, chances are that you know, your job hasn't been, been impacted. If you're retired, you're getting your Social Security checks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you're in one of the essential businesses, you're, you're still working. But, you know, everybody else, what about that? And, and it is kind of interesting. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a grocery clerk or you're one of the people that's delivering packages for Amazon or something, you're probably listening to this saying, what is this guy talking about shutting down the country? My country hasn't been shut down. I, I'm, I'm going to work. So how can we tell that Amazon delivery driver, okay, you got to go to work, or the person that's shopping, the, the, that's stocking the, the stores over at the, the local grocery store, well, you've got to go to work. But we, we're going to tell somebody else, the, the independent dog groomer or the hairstylist that no you're not going to be able and go to work for 12 or 18 months that's a non-starter and candidly that's where i think we need to be focusing the stuff it's a medical solution but it's also a practical solution which is one of the reasons why i keep saying you have to roll this out systematically and the way we reopen the state the things that we do in milwaukee county for example that has what half of the coronavirus deaths and maybe what about about half of the positive tests the the way we reopen that is different than the way we reopen Brown County or, you know, Barron County or, or whatever. Whenever I say that, I get emails from retired nurses saying, oh, you don't understand. we got to keep stuff shut down forever. Well, we, we can't keep stuff shut down forever if this vaccine is truly a year to a year and a half away. And even then, there's a lot of people who aren't going to get it. Back with more of your calls in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, let's look at some text. Jeff. Wake up. Think about the sacrifices people made when there was a war. Remember World War II? Well, okay, by, if, if the implication is that means we should crater the economy and tell a huge section of our population that we're, we're not going to allow you to go to work until we get a cure or a treatment for coronavirus next year, I, this isn't World War II. I mean, and I understand this is a big deal. I'm not trying to downplay it. But I am saying you you can't destroy 50% of this country's economy on the fear that okay somebody somewhere might get sick. Not downplaying the idea. Look, there's 100 coronavirus deaths in Wisconsin. That's a big deal. I, I understand we're in a population of 5.8 million. And if, if you're seriously talking about a, a year to a year and a half before people can resume businesses or you can have public gatherings, I just don't think people will, will put up with it. I think people will, will make their own risk choices. And if you as an individual are uncomfortable being in groups or going to a movie or going to a restaurant or whatever, go, God, go with God. You know, don't don't, don't do it. But I think other people will start to, you know, make those risks. Jeff, backlash will come soon. People have to live our lives. Um, let's see. 
Uh, da, 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 da. Jeff, I'm a hairstylist. Maybe you should talk about why all these high-profile public figures like governors and police officers are getting their haircuts. Shouldn't they practice what they preach? Oh, there's an interesting story. I'll mention that in just a minute. Um, Jeff, every essential business is jam-packed now. Drove by Menards, Home Depot, Target, and Racine. You can't find a parking place. Um Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Uh, let's see, Jeff, we make most of our income displaying our wares at art and fine craft fairs. Shutting everything down for a year and a half or uh, is going to kill us. We're probably out at least 12000 already for shows canceled this spring. If it goes beyond May, we're going to have to consider selling our house. Without our house, we have no shop space, can't make our wares. It's frightening. We have to get back to living. Um, and, and that's, see, that's a reality. And of course, the problem that those folks are going to have is that even when you start allowing art fairs and craft fairs and things like that, I still think people are going to be reluctant to want to go back to them. Um, Jeff, what happens when all these people who are keeping busy and still earning money working at home get laid off because the businesses they are working for shut down? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be a huge, huge problem, which is, like I say, why I, I think we need to be smart about trying to figure out where we're going and, and how we get this all back. And I'm not arguing that we just wave a magic wand and, and say, okay, everything's going to be open. Let, let's start playing Major League Baseball games in two weeks. I, I'm not. I, I don't think that's practical at all. But I do think we have to start saying, all right, look, here, here's what we're going to do. Once, once we flatten that curve, what we have to do is we have to say, all right, we're, we're going to allow restaurants to open up. And we're going to maybe go back to what we did. We're going to put limits on the number of people that can go in. And if people want to take the chance of going there, that's fine. And if there's suddenly an emergence or an outbreak of coronavirus in this particular area, maybe we've got to look at, at reinstituting, reinstituting a quarantine or, or something like that. But you've got to start opening things up. People will only tolerate this for so long. And at some point in time, you know, we, we have to end up making that decision. But when I when, when I hear people talking about a year or 18 months, I, again, I'm, I'm kind of shaking my head about this, thinking what planet do they live on? Now, like I say, I recognize that there's going to be a lot of people out there who are going to be, until you get a vaccine or you get a workable treatment, you know, maybe they're going to be reluctant going out into groups. And maybe they're not going to go to the ball games in the movie theaters or they're not going to go into a tavern or something like that. And, and that's fine. You know, that's that's going to be the battle for the individual business owner to try to figure out, you know, how to how to get people back. I have to tell you, honestly, there are some things that I, I used to do before this that I would unhesitatingly going back to some places I go that I'd start doing tomorrow. There's other places and other things I think, well, maybe I, I want to I wanna wait this out a little bit. I mean, so you're going to have to be practical in that regard, and you can't do it all at once. But for anybody who's saying, well, gosh, we've got to keep this country closed until we have a cure, not going to happen because there's not going to be a country to return to if you've got 50% of the people that are out of work, not to mention all the psychological problems, all the things that, that come with the flip side of denying people a right to, to make a living. It's, you know, you, we cannot keep people confined for, for that length of time. We need to, at some point in the relatively near future, we need to figure out a way to be smart about it, but to reopen the state and reopen the country, or at least start 
the process, understanding that if we have a hot spot that develops, you know, okay, maybe we need to reinstitute sort of closed down measures. But if, if the hot spot develops in, I don't know, Appleton, Wisconsin, right, then maybe you have to do something in Appleton. But if it doesn't develop in La Crosse, okay, you let La Crosse stay open. Bottom line, you can't keep the country closed for 12 or 18 months. All right, back with lots more. In the next segment of the program, I, I want to switch gears. I want to talk about what happened yesterday in the state of Wisconsin, the election, what we could learn from what happened yesterday, whether there were screw-ups. The answer is, by the way, yes. And what this means moving forward, does Wisconsin demonstrate a, a model of what not to do in November? Stick around. It'll be an interesting conversation. I guarantee it. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Christmas days have come and gone Broken toys and faded colors Are all that's left to linger on I hate graveyards and old pawn shops But they always bring tears Memories that can't be bought and can't be won The carnivals for free Well, it took me years To get those souvenirs And I don't know how They slipped away from me Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. This is Jeff Wagner. That is, I think, one of the leading singer-songwriters of my generation, John Prine, passed away from COVID-19 yesterday. Got a list, uh, kind of a primer on some of the the all-time great John Prine songs. If you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 we'll be playing a couple of those as the afternoon goes on. Uh, Prine dead at the age of 53 from COVID-19. All right, I want to talk about a couple election-related issues. Now, yesterday we had an election, and I, we, we've, we've talked a lot about that this week and in the time leading up to it. I think reasonable people can disagree about whether it was appropriate to go ahead and, and have the election tomorrow, yesterday. I think, um, I, as I said yesterday, I think it is unfortunate. This was a matter where you know both political parties th- wanted the election to go ahead. And so it wasn't until the last minute with some political considerations and some wrangling that all of a sudden Governor Evers tried to to suspend the the election. And the haphazard fashion they came up with, it just made no sense. 
several weeks ago if the parties could have gotten together and we would have just said we're going to put everything on hold for 60 days, maybe. But once they missed that opportunity, I think you can understand why this happened. All right, yesterday we had a really interesting time because I think you're going to go back and you're going to look at perhaps more people voting absentee, either early in-person absentee or via mail, than any other time in, in Wisconsin history. You had a statewide election, and in most parts of the state, the election came out came off with, without any significant hitches. Um, were there lines at some of the polling places? Yeah, but they weren't overpowering lines. As a matter of fact, anecdotally, we heard from a number, I took a number of calls yesterday from people, particularly in, in the exurbs, who were saying, hey, our, our polling places were fine, the clerks were ready to deal with this, there was no issue. In the city of Milwaukee, it was a different story. The city of Milwaukee typically has 180 polling locations open. They had five yesterday. So not surprisingly, you had long lines outside of most, but not all, of, of those those five. It went from 180 to five. Now, I, I just, I understand it was a difficult time, but I have a very serious question. What is going on in the city of Milwaukee that you could only have five open? Now, I had a caller yesterday, woman who, uh, one of our regular listeners, who said, hey, look, I, I volunteer. I'm, I'm a poll worker. Most of us tend to be older. I wasn't going to volunteer, and, and I know a lot of people felt the same way, which I, I certainly understand. A lot of the people that you normally would, would have are going to decide that they're going to pass on this. All right. But but here's the interesting thing. All right. Milwaukee, state's largest city with just under 600,000 people, was only able to open five of 180 polling stations. Madison, with a population of 260,000. So, you know, less than half as many as Milwaukee had 66 of its 92 sites open. Madison was able to open two-thirds of the site. About 1,700 Madison poll workers sat out working the election. Many of them were older, greater risk of contracting coronavirus, so it makes perfect sense. But, and I'm looking at the Madison papers now, the city was able to fill the shortage and had nearly 1,400 workers on hand for the election. How did they do it? The clerk's office recruited new poll workers by contacting city staff, emailing licensed bartenders, and coordinating with UW-Madison. All right, they, they, were, they were able to get things open. So in Milwaukee, all right, the executive director of the Milwaukee Election Commission said, well, we were only able to get five open because there wasn't enough time to expand voting sites once we learned how much support the city would get from the National Guard. Um, he also said Madison may have had more success finding poll workers because it tends to be more politically engaged than Milwaukee. So in other words, it's the National Guard's fault because we, we didn't have enough people, we didn't know what the numbers were going to be, and, well, maybe people are more politically engaged in Madison than Milwaukee. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, i, I got to tell you this. I understand that trying to find poll workers is a challenge. I, I, I get it. But at the same time, wouldn't it be interesting to know 
what exactly the city of Milwaukee really did. Because to tell you the honest to goodness truth, I think it is absolutely ridiculous that you could only open five of the polling stations. You know, were we reaching out to UWM? Were we reaching out to, to Marquette? Were we contacting licensed, uh, were we contacting city employees and say, hey, we, we need you to be at these polls, et cetera, et cetera? I, I mean, obviously, they made it a big deal in Madison to try to keep the polls open. And I, I'm not arguing that Milwaukee, the city of, should have been able to open up 180 poll districts. That, that's, that's not going to be the case. I, I, of course it's not. I, you're going to have to oper- operate with limited ones. But, but they were only able to open five out of 180. Madison was able to open up two-thirds of their districts. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we have expected more? Because, again, I just kind of refuse to accept this premise that just because you have a lot of the regular volunteers that that might not be able to come, that that means we could only get five. Now, maybe you had to get working on this and have contingency plans, oh, I don't know, say a couple weeks ago. Maybe this was a process that you should have anticipated because, well, well, gosh, we've... We, the election, by the way, was never taken off the calendar, never taken off the calendar till the governor's order pretty much at the last minute. So, I mean, only five? Does that show that there was really like a serious attempt to open these up? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just... I don't expect them to have 180, and I know that there were all sorts of difficulties here, but other communities were able to do it. So when you look at these lines, which, by the way, I think are unacceptable, I understand why people are hacked off about it. When you look at those lines, I mean, this is not the first time that the Milwaukee Elections Commission has screwed up, and I I think there's a lot of blame to go around, but... I think some of the blame, appropriately, is on you're only able to keep five locations open. Tom and Beaver Dam. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I think you're just talking around the subject. The real issue is the Republicans could have fixed this problem and not made people choose between voting and dying. They could have done it with their own political Ambition. Okay, Tom. I, Tom, I don't. I don't. I, Tom, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just. I, I don't want to go down this route about ranting about the Republicans or the Democrats or, or whatever. I, that's well, we're, we're past that. Thanks for. Well, no, I just. Well, no, but you do. I th- thanks for calling. I mean, I, no, I, I, we've been talking about this for the last couple days. I don't want to talk about the the political ramifications of this football or who's to blame. I'm bored with that conversation. Okay, and people aren't going to change their minds. As I said, reasonable people can agree or disagree about whether or not you know there should have been the the election yesterday. I'm looking at how the election was run. I understand lots of voters were significantly inconsi- uh, were were, signif- were put out. I mean, I I, I get it. And, you know, having to wait two hours in line to vote, I agree, is unacceptable as well. But, you know, if we're trying to figure out where that was, once the decision was made to go ahead and have the election, a decision which, by the way, both political parties were on board with up until the last minute when the governor issued his illegal order, I I just, I'm wondering where the preparation was. Isn't it reasonable to expect more than five polling places to be open? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, the Milwaukee Elections Commissioner should be fired. Well, I don't know. I don't know about um, that, but I, I do know, you know, why, why? I, I do know that if, if Madison can get 
two-thirds of their polls open, isn't it unreasonable to expect Milwaukee to get 20% of their polls open? Jeff, if they opened more, they wouldn't have had all the nice TV video of long lines. They obviously could have opened more than five. Well, maybe they couldn't. But my question would be, why couldn't they have, have opened more than five? Why weren't we reaching? Why weren't we doing what Madison was doing? Why weren't we drafting city employees to go work at the polls? Why weren't we reaching out to the colleges? They're reaching out to all the licensed bartenders, for goodness sakes, and training them. Jeff, there are several college campuses in Milwaukee with healthy students. Um, well, yes, um, that would be a point. Um, Jeff. Milwaukee's excuse for only five polling places is hogwash. The city of Brown Deer has 14,000 residents. They had three polling places open. Okay, now, again, my guess is they had fewer people working there, but bottom line is what you have to do is that, you know, what you have to do is figure out how we're going to make the best of this situation. But, you know, this is not the first time that the reaction of the city of Milwaukee to any problem is to blame somebody else. Oh, it's it's the fault of the National Guard. We didn't know how many National Guard people we were going to have. Well, all right. All right. That that may very well be the case. But if you're not getting enough, maybe you should make specific requests for people or maybe you should do outreach. You know, what was done to try to get more polls open um let's talk to jim in bayview jim you're on wtmj good afternoon hello uh i'm an election inspector and i work every election and for this election that we had yesterday i never called the milwaukee election commission and told them that oh i'm afraid to work or i'm not going to work and uh the the election came along and I had never been notified where I'm supposed to go and work. So, you know, and I know my coworkers at this firehouse number twelve I work at on Twenty Second in Oklahoma. There's about eight of us that work there, and I can't imagine that any of us eight would have said no. We're not working, you know. And it, right. so I I don't know why they only had five places open. Yeah, well, I mean, I get, and thanks for calling, Jim. I mean, I, and I guess my question would be, all right, if you're an election inspector and they've got your information, why, why aren't we reaching out? Why aren't we reaching out to the people that are typically at the polls and, and saying, hey, would, would you come in? We're going to set up some special training. And, again, you've got to understand, the election up until the last minute was always going to happen. It was always going to happen. So instead of a couple weeks ago saying, oh, we're only going to have five polling places open, wouldn't you have thought that the emphasis would be on, all right, instead of just we're going to have five polling places open and we're going to try to make people stand in line for a couple hours and get outraged, let's do everything we possibly can to open 10 polling places or 15 polling places. And, and let's, let's reach out to people. And maybe that means we have to conduct a couple extra rounds of, of training. But let's beat the bushes and try to get bodies. Now, again, I understand you can't have 180 open, but they only had five. And I think it's fair to say to the city of Milwaukee Elections Commissioner, what were you doing and why did it get this out of control and where was the foresight? So, again, reasonable people can agree or disagree about whether the election should have occurred. But I do think it's fair to kind of say, all right, for some of these people that were responsible for pulling this off, they dropped the ball big time. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, now keep in mind, 
This is not the first time that the City of Milwaukee Elections Commission has screwed up. Remember back in 2018 that they were reporting 100% of ballots in at the end of the night and then mysteriously 45,000 absentee ballots ended up uh, not having been counted and then they got counted and they broke 38,000 to 7 in favor of uh, Tony Evers and Walker ended up losing the election. And I mean, all the other clerks were able to get their ballots counted. The City of Milwaukee wasn't. So th- this is not the first time. Now, a number of people are being very cynical about this. Jeff, five polling locations, an example that Milwaukee expected the election to be postponed, another example of poor leadership. I, I don't know about that. Here's another one, Jeff. I do believe the only reason Milwaukee did what they did was because they were trying to force the state to reschedule, and they thought that if they could get the largest city in Wisconsin to show desperation, our leaders would have to postpone the election. Jeff, it wasn't incompetence, but it was a cynical move to blame Republicans for long lines and get some national publicity. Mission accomplished. I don't know that I'm that cynical. I, I just think it might have been screwed up. <laughs> and it just it, it might have been, you know, screwed up. And I, I think it would be interesting for people to, to ask Tom Barrett and not just accept as well we couldn't find anybody. Well what 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 did you do to find people? Seriously, and you know how many people really did call in sick? And, I, and I'm sure that there was a large percentage. Uh, maybe 50 percent did. Maybe 60 or 70 percent did. Okay, but what efforts did you make? Concrete efforts to replace those people? Let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Woke up this morning, put on my slippers, walked in the kitchen and died. And oh, what a feeling when my soul went through the ceiling And on up into heaven I did right When I got there they did say, John, it happened this way You slipped upon the floor and hit your head And all the angels say, just before you passed away These were the very last words that you said This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. This is, of course, my tribute to the late, great John Prine, who was an institution in Wisconsin and I think generally recognized as one of the outstanding singer-songwriters of certainly of my generation, passed away last night in Nashville, Tennessee, after a battle of coronavirus, uh, COVID-19. Uh, John Prine, of course, had, had a number of significant health issues over the last couple of years. But uh, if, you, if you've never heard of John Prine, do yourself a favor. Check out some of, of the music. Like I say, some of it's fun, some of it's poignant. A lot of his songs were <clears throat> covered by, by other performers. His most, most famous one might be Angel from Montgomery that Bonnie Raitt made into a huge hit. But uh, check that out. All right. There's, sometimes I, I use the phrase bad optics, but the truth is, Eh, sometimes it's not so much bad optics. It's just a staggeringly dumb idea. And and here's, and I, I guess I want to give the Nina police credit 
for recognizing that what they were doing was not only bad optics, but staggeringly dumb. Now, as part of the governor's safer at home order, a number of businesses have been closed, including barbers and hairstylists. And uh, this is, I mean, I know several people who work in, in this industry, and this is, it's, it's taking a huge financial toll on them. And they want to reopen, and for everybody out there who, you know, want to get your hair cut or want to get your hair dyed or whatever, um, the, the longer this goes on, and I understand we want to be safe, and I'm, I'm not criticizing right now the decision to close it, but it, it, it's kind of a, it's sort of a, a big deal because we're, we're used to getting our haircuts on schedule and things like that. And I understand you have to make a little bit of sacrifices, but um, the, the people that actually do this, the hairstylists, the barbers, etc., they're, they're hurting very much. All right, so they're, they're, it's not an essential business. That's been the decision. So I don't know if you heard about this, but the, the Nina police chief. Now, the Nina, I mean, obviously police are an essential business. Nobody would argue with that. The Nina police have rules with regard to hair length, right? So what do you do when you're an essential business, but you, the barbers, the hairdressers are ordered closed? Well, the Nina police chief came up with the great idea that what we'll do is we will make arrangements to bring a hairstylist in to the station from 4 to 8 p.m. twice a week because officers still need to look presentable to the public. Now, this is despite the fact that Nina that that, that hairstylists are ordered closed down by by the governor, you know, um, number one, um, and that every single hairstylist in the state is out of work with no income. It's also the decision was made despite the fact that apparently the the law in Wisconsin is that if you're a licensed hairstylist, you you you've got to work out of certain premises. You you can't you just can't. Do it out of your, your home. I, I can't call up the gal that cuts my hair and say, hey, come on over and cut my hair in my kitchen. That, that's in violation of her license. But the, the Nino police chief was saying, okay, I'm, we're going to bring in somebody to cut people's hair. Now, reasonable people can perhaps argue about whether or not we, we should have the hairstylists closed down, the barbers and stuff, whether we should force them to close down. All right? That's one argument to have. But given that they are closed down, to say, we're going to bring you in to cut the hair of the cops. Bad optics and staggeringly, staggeringly dumb. Because where, where do you draw the line? And there's all sorts of people who are in essential businesses. If you're going to let somebody come out and cut the hair of the police officers, well, why shouldn't they also be able to cut the hair of the people working at the hardware store or the grocery stores or all the other essential businesses, including, by the way, media. It, what I do is defined as an essential business. So should I be able to get my hair cut when, when other people can't? <clears throat> the What happened is one of the guys that runs several of the salons up in Appleton kind of blew the whistle on this, saying, what, what's going on here? Because I'm ordered to be closed down, <clears throat> but somebody else is able to, to make money. And ultimately, the police chief, who I guess, first of all, had asked for an opinion from somebody up in, in Appleton, uh, one of the, like the city attorney, who said, it's okay to do this which makes me wonder what they were thinking of when they, they gave that opinion. The city attorney's office has now apparently backed off on that, and the chief has said, well, I, I just it, it's not worth fighting over. I was just trying to do a good thing. And, and maybe he was, but it is kind of staggering to me that you didn't, number one, consider the optics of this. How was this going to look 
when you're telling everybody else they they can't get their hair cut, but you're going to let the cops get their hair cut. I mean, that, that's number one. And, and number two, just kind of a bad idea. I mean, we're all in this together. Now, maybe, you know, maybe this is evidence of the fact that the governor, sooner rather than later, should reconsider this order and, and allow, like, the barbershops and the hairstylists to open up and allow people to kind of make the decision as to whether they want to risk take the risk if you know whatever that risk might be of getting their hair cut but right now if we've closed down those businesses you can't open them up two hours or four hours a week for the police so they can look good when everybody else um, isn't able to use those services just just a lack of foresight on the part of the police chief up in uh, up in that area I mean I mean, goodness gracious, Um, what were they thinking? All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, if you thought yesterday was a mess, what do we do in November? Stick around. We will discuss. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, I'm not a doctor. I don't do the health care models or things like that. My sense with coronavirus, just listening to the experts and all, is that we're going to we're going to see a leveling off r- relatively quickly. And you can whether that's a week or two weeks, I, I don't know. But you're going to see that phrase they use, the flattening the curve. What what's going to happen? I I think is because we're a long ways away from having a vaccine and, and having a treatment. Hopefully sooner rather than later. But a lot of experts say that we're going to see the numbers flatten out and go down as it gets warmer. And then, you know, once we start the typical cold flu season come this fall, don't be surprised if you see another return, another increase in these numbers. Maybe that's going to happen. Maybe it's not. It makes sense to me. And I understand this is different than the flu, which tends to be more seasonal. But it it does kind of make sense to me. And I wouldn't be surprised to see us get this under control and then you have it it return in one shape or, or form. All right. Yesterday we had the election and, and nobody's happy. Nobody's happy with the the results and the and the process that that's just kind of the reality. But my question is, what does this mean for November? Now, you, we could have there's no question about it. We could have kicked the election back in Wisconsin two months. And in my opinion, it, it wouldn't have caused too much of an uproar you would have had mayors and you would have had county executives who had to stay on beyond the length of their term but but as a general rule it would not have disrupted disrupted the orderly flow of government all right next november is a a different story that election has to occur We're, we're deciding on the next president of the united states and my guess is if president trump pulled a, a Tony Evers and three days before the election said, hey, there's a health crisis, I want to kick it back 60 days, um, that, that would not go over very well. But let us, let us assume, for the sake of argument alone, now, we started off the program in the 12 o'clock hour. One of the, the health advisors for Joe Biden is saying, hey, we should keep this country closed down for another 12 or 18 months. We, we just cannot reopen it. Let us assume that things are, are better but still not great, which I think is probably a, a likelihood next November. All right, we saw how the election worked out in Wisconsin yesterday. Lots of people unhappy. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we need to make dramatic changes in the way we vote between now 
and November in an era of coronavirus to make sure that, okay, you don't have to have people waiting in line for four for two hours to vote. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can we learn anything from what happened yesterday in Wisconsin that we apply to what's going to happen in the election in November? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or do we just do nothing and hope for the best? All right, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. W277CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studio, this is News Radio WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Okay, so, I mean, yesterday, issues in Milwaukee, not enough polls open. People will be saying whoever won the election, it, it's, not a, it's not a legitimate result. The legal challenges, in my opinion, are going to go nowhere. But at the same time, I think it's appalling that you would expect people to have to wait in line for two and a half hours. All right, if if we're still dealing with various ramifications of COVID-19 and the coronavirus in November, and some experts say that they think we're, we're going to be, right, the question is, do can can you run a presidential election under the same sort of circumstances? And some people are saying what you really need to do is we, we need to stop in-person voting. We need to go to mail-only, M-A-I-L, mail-only voting. Send people ballots. Let them cast the ballots. Let's get rid of this idea of actually having to go and and stand in line and cast a vote. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I think the lesson from, from yesterday isn't so much that you need to change the procedures, but it means that you need to have people who are vigilant about, all right, making sure that there's enough people in the various clerk's offices to get the absentee ballots out, and also that there's enough people that you've got <clears throat> contingency plans. If, if all of a sudden you have some of your regular poll workers that decide that they're not going to be able to do it, that you, you, know, you don't have to close 175 out of 180 polling stations. 855-616-1620, that's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My guess is one of the things that is going to happen is more and more people are going to vote early, either by the absentee ballot or by the early in-person absentee voting, where you you know you show up and cast the vote early. So I think clerk's offices need to adapt to that. The idea that let's do away with in-person voting and shift to mail only, I, I, I don't think that's a good idea for a lot of reasons. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Jeff, the November election should be a mail-in vote. Yesterday proved our elected officials don't care about us. To say that the legislature and governor all decided weeks ago we should go ahead with in-person and then refuse to revisit the situation is excusable. Vote them all out. All right, mail-in. So no more going down and voting in person. Everybody would have to vote by mail. All right, Jeff, they need to open up more polling places and get something fixed with that because I know several people who went and voted, but they found out they were at the wrong location. We need to get the polling places corrected. Okay, Jeff, we should definitely still be able to have polls open um, and, you know, more than five polls open. Um, Jeff, if the counties are still in lockdown in November, we have much more to worry about than an election. Well, don't 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 be surprised if the, some of that goes on. Okay, 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, is th- there is a there is a movement afoot in this country 
to change from in-person voting to mail only. And the deal would be, you know, if you're a registered voter, you get sent the ballot, you, you send it back. And that's that's it. Is that really a good idea? Um, can you imagine? Can you imagine the potential for for voter fraud or, you know, the I, look? And I, I understand we don't have a perfect system, and I, I think it's very very reasonable to ask this question about people who requested absentee ballots, you know, three weeks before the election and didn't get them. It's very reasonable to ask of the local clerk's office what the hell happened. I mean, that that is a fair question. But does that mean that's a justification for going to mail all mail ballots? And and if we're having trouble sending out, you know, the requested absentee ballots, what what is what do you think is going to happen with um, trying to mail ballots to all registered voters? Let's talk to Helen and find a lack. Helen, you're on WTMJ. My daughter lives in the state of Oregon, and they have had this uh, that um, mail-in ballot yep. only. They. They for every election, they the, all the registered voters get their ballot in the mail. They fill it out and they mail it back. And yep. I believe there are a couple of other states that also have that. Once once the state of Wisconsin would get a system set up, I think it would be possibly easy easy to manipulate. So so that's my idea on it. What. Um what what sort of system do you think that you would have to what sort of system do you think that you would have to have to do that well they'd have to have the the state of wisconsin would have to have their computers all set up with all the people i mean they'd have to get the name of the registered voters from yeah. all of uh the precincts or whatever and and then they would just mail out to all those people yeah. Well, that, I mean, thanks for calling. Oh. Keep it. Thanks. No, I appreciate it. And, and Oregon, you're right. Or, Oregon does this. Um, the, the, okay. First of all, to switch over, you're talking about um, you're, you're talking about millions of, of dollars to adjust the, the system that's there. You're going to have delayed results. You're going to have to, you know, deal with. You know, the, the issue of, of impersonation, that is, you know, people pretending to be, you know, somebody that they're not to cast the votes. I, I guess I just and, and keep in mind here in Wisconsin, my God, we we can't we can't even agree about whether or not removing people who've moved their addresses from the voting polls is appropriate. There's all this negation going on involving all of this. I guess I, I look at the, this entire situation and I think there's a lot to learn from what happened yesterday, and I think that there's certainly a lot of room for improvement. And if I was an election clerk in various counties, I'd be having a long, hard conversation with my staff and with the powers that be saying, look, what what did we screw up? What could we do better? How, What can we do in the future to make sure that... All right, if people request absentee ballots, we're able to get them. Maybe even need to tinker with the law to allow absentee ballots to be requested sooner so that there's not as much of a, of a flood coming in over the course of the, the immediate uh, election. So you don't get overwhelmed at, at the last minute. I think all of those are, are fair. I think maybe state law needs to look at whether or not you should change the law to allow um, votes that are postmarked by election day to be counted, you know, as long as they're received in the next few days, like we're doing this time under a court order. But that's not what the state law says. But as far as abandoning the idea of in-person voting, 
I'm not there yet. I don't think that that's a justification. I think there's a lot of things that we should expect clerks to do to to get it right before we go to that step. Um, But this is going to be a discussion that we're going to have to be having because, again, I think coronavirus is going to be with us, hopefully not to the extent it is now, but I think it is going to be with us for well, the foreseeable future, and that includes up to and through November. Back with much more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Dow Jones. Again, about 777 points, back over 23,000. Now, it, it was, of course, over 29,000 at the time the, the coronavirus crisis started, plunged to, what, below 20,000. Now it's kind of working its way back. But again, it's one of these examples of, and I know our, our, the financial people we have on WTMJ mention this all the time, it, it's when you do things in a panic, whether it's, I don't know, make, making a variety of decisions, including, gee, am I, am I worried about my portfolio or whatever? If, if you make your decisions in a panic, they almost always turn out to be wrong. So, for example, if you know, a week and a half ago you were just disillusioned, bummed out, and panicked about what had gone on in the stock market, and you decided to, to sell everything, I'm gonna take everything, I want to put it in cash and put it in a, I don't know, paper sack, be under my mattress or whatever, that that's all well and good, but you would have missed what's happened over the course of the last couple of weeks, which is a, a significant rebound. We're not where we are. I, I happen to think that once we get through this, whenever that may be, I, I still think you're going to see just, just a huge explosion. There there are so many businesses that are out there that, that right now they're just kind of on pause. I was looking at a story, and, and maybe we'll talk about it tomorrow, about how nobody's buying new cars nowadays. I, I, okay, I say nobody, and then somebody will text me and say, well, I know somebody who just bought a car. But, but in general, people are not going to automobile showrooms and, and buying buying cars and actually the argument is this might be the best time to do that try to buy a car online for example because there, there's this massive inventory that's out there now might be the time if you need a new car to, to get a really great deal like i say we'll talk about that at some point in time but but we in america aren't going to stop buying cars now we might have put that on hold for the moment but we're, we're not going to stop buying cars and there's going to be a point in time where there's all this pent-up demand and people who were considering buying a car this spring who might have been putting those plans on hold because of what's going on well they're, they're going to be out buying the car and, and the smart businesses are going to be the ones that are positioned you know for for that to, to take advantage of it and I think the same thing is true with air travel uh, a lot of the aspects of the hospitality industry. I, I think the home buying market is going to be that case as well. I mean, there's it, it, right now. My guess is it's tough to be a real estate agent. I mean, it just is. It changes the way you do showings. People have this degree of financial uncertainty. You're unclear about the, the future, and and so I know that there's some houses that are still selling, but not like like you would normally expect in a spring. But that's going to change at some point in time. I don't know exactly when that time is going to be, but there is all this <clears throat> kind of pent up demand that, that's out there, and I think you know that you're starting to see people recognize that the fundamentals of the American economy are still pretty strong. 
and and that that's where you're seeing the the market starting to come back a bit even though you still get you know bad news when it comes to the, the spread of coronavirus all right i'm curious as to how you react to this here is my question was the guy being a jerk or did he have a point Right here's the story, and it happened on Sunday afternoon in Brighton, Colorado. Brighton, Colorado is a it's it's a suburb of it's a suburb of Denver. It's about 12 miles outside of, of Denver. Now, in in Colorado, they have a, a an order similar to the one that we're operating under that encourages people to to stay home and avoid large groups. Okay, in in Brighton, they have just like we have around here, they have public parks. So what happens, Sunday afternoon, have a guy, his wife, and their six-year-old daughter, and they go out to one of the public parks in Brighton, Colorado. Nice day, middle of the afternoon. They're, They're trying to get out. Now, the park is closed, except it is open for groups of no more than four persons, for walking, hiking, biking, running, and similar activities. So again, the idea is, you know, people have to get out, people have to have somewhere to go, but they don't want large groups, all right? So it's the guy, his wife, and their six-year-old daughter. They go to the park, and they are pretty much in the park by themselves, and they're playing t-ball. You you know, t-ball where you've got the, you you put the wiffle ball or whatever up on the stand, and the kid hits the ball, and they feel it. So it's the Family of three, mom, dad, six-year-old, they're playing t-ball. There are emerging, this group of people who, the term for them is virus vigilantes. And these are the people who, while practicing social distancing themselves, see people who aren't practicing social distancing and call the cops. That's the term, virus vigilantes. So what happens is, okay, you got the mom and dad and the six-year-old, they're playing, they're in the park, they're by themselves playing t-ball. All right, the police department gets a call from one of these virus vigilantes who says that there's 10 to 12 people playing softball in the park. All right, so based on, on this phone call, the, the police, the three police officers, show up to look at the, the, the 12 people that are supposedly playing softball in the public park. They get there. There's not 12 people. There's the, there's the family. They're, and they're, they're not really playing softball. They're playing t-ball. They're trying to, to do something. All right, so the police go up to the guy, and they say, you're here illegally, and, you know, we, we want you to produce identification. You know, we want to know who you are, and, you know, we want to know who you are, and you're not allowed to be here. At which point in time, the, the guy, he, he cops an attitude. And, and he does say, he says, look, I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong at all. I'm not telling you who I am. I'm not violating any laws. I'm allowed to be here with my wife and, and my kid. And they, at this point in time, the police then uh, arrest him in front of the, the six-year-old girl. He says, his six-year-old daughter, he said, the, the, the girl is apparently, Daddy, I don't want to get arrested. He says, I'm thinking, there's no way they're going to arrest me. This is insane. I'm telling her, don't worry, Daddy's not going to get arrested. I've done nothing wrong. Don't worry about it. And then he says, he, he's, he's handcuffed and, and taken into custody. And there's apparently now people starting to gather on the edge of the parks that are, are filming this. Now, 
The guy says after, so he's taken, he's put in the squad car, he's detained for, you know, the better part of a half hour. And ultimately, he ends up being released. He's gone public with this. And, you know, his answer, some people are saying, okay, look, even if the police were, even if they were wrong, you you should have just gone along with this. I mean, don't you realize everybody's on their last nerve? Why, Why didn't you just cooperate? And this is what he says. He says, to everyone who says, I should have just listened and moved on, that, that's the whole point of this. The government is stripping us of our rights because people just roll over, go along with what they say. Sometimes you have to stand up and make a stand regardless of the costs. We can teach our kids that the government is always right and tyrannical, or we can teach them that, yes, you can stand up for what is right. My question for the Brighton Police Department is, since when are constitutional rights something that's new? How are officers enforcing anything that they aren't properly trained on? Okay, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. The guy, there with his wife and kid, they're playing t-ball in the public park. It's just three of them. Somebody makes this phone call, says that there's a dozen people. That, that's, that's not right. Cops get there. They find three people. They tell him he's got to move on. He says he's not going to move on. He's entitled to be there. They tell him, you know, who are you? He refuses to identify himself, says, I'm not doing anything wrong. They then take him into custody. He's gone public with this. All right. Who's right? Who's wrong? Should the guy have simply moved on when he was told by the police, even though he probably had a right to be there? Um, Did the police overreact to the call from the virus vigilante who said there's 15 people when really it was just a mom and a dad and a kid? All right, was the guy being a jerk? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, the answers aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. We discuss in just a moment. Who's right? Who's wrong? Is everybody right? Is everybody wrong? If you're on the line, please hold on. We talk about it. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Uh, by the way, if you had plans to travel to New York City to see a Broadway show, n- never mind the announcement that all the Broadway shows, they're going to be closed until at least, and that is at least, June 7th. So, um, again, another kind of blow, and not surprising, especially given what's going on in New York. And I'm, I'm not sure there's too many people that would feel comfortable in the next few weeks traveling to New York under any circumstances. But um, if you were going to New York, to see a Broadway show, not until at least June. Okay, told you the story. Was the guy being a jerk? Were the cops wrong? What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Adam in Brookfield. Adam, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. Happy sunny Wednesday, Matt. I was going to go walking after the show. Don't think that's going to happen. At least it's raining. Yeah, I walked the dog, and I turned around real quick. Anyway, <laughs> I came in late on this thing. Since all of this started, I've grown very wary of the authorities. I'm conservative. I'm a Republican. I printed out um, um, the, the governor's nine-page edict, and I got it sitting in my car. And when I get out of my car, if I'm not home, I take it with me and I stick it in my pocket. Because I'll tell you, a lot of what I hear, especially from that dope mayor in San Francisco that started talking about pulling family members away from other family members, that's Nazi. And and I think they're, I mean, I completely understand 10 feet away, all that stuff. But 
to a point, you, you got to let people out of their houses. And as long as you're not breaking the letter of the law, which that, and that's why I printed that piece of paper out, I'm going to keep it on me. And if I have to mm-hmm. fight someone in court, I'll fight them in court. Okay, good enough. Well, th- thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I, I do think there, there, there is that, that approach that, that's out there. And, you know, in this, in this case, I mean, it, it's all triggered by, again, what we call the virus vigilantes, the people who see something that they think is wrong and then they call the authorities and the authorities respond. But it was three cops. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking, huh, okay, three cops respond to a situation where they're saying there, there's 12 people playing softball and they get there and they find out that the, I mean, I don't know if there weren't, I don't know, maybe there were 12 people an hour before, but when they get there, the only people that are there are the husband, the wife, and their six-year-old daughter. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the guy should the guy have simply cooperated? He's all upset because he was taken into custody. He was arrested, handcuffed, put in the back of a squad car, and detained for a lengthy period of time in front of his six-year-old daughter. Mike in Waukesha. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how's it going, Jeff? Uh, first thing I would say is that Obviously, he should not have cooperated. I mean, this is something where I think it's getting extreme. Um, being a police officer myself, I feel like we're trading our badges for swastikas here. I mean, we're becoming the Nazis. Um, this whole lockdown thing, I mean, I think it's way more control that the government is giving, you know, is taking control as far as people's rights, and they're just letting it happen. Nobody's contesting. Nobody's contacting their um, representatives are and pushing back on this, and they're just well, allowing well, it to this, happen. But is it is it is it worth the the fight? Okay, so I mean, even if it, the guy the guy is apparently right, the police officers are wrong. But you're in this situation where if you they tell you to move on, and you simply say okay. You, you move on, and then you call the mayor the next day or say, hey, look, this is what happened. We think the police are wrong. He, if he handled it that way, he wouldn't have ended up handcuffed in front of his six-year-old kid and in the back of a squad car. I mean, does it, sometimes don't you just have to do what you're told and then live to fight another day? To, to some extent, yes. But, I mean, at the same time, I, I look at it as if I was the, these officers in this position and I saw that it's a family at three, I would have called whoever called on them and told them they're doing nothing wrong legally, and I would have left it alone. I wouldn't have even bothered to get out of the squad car. Uh, this That's the biggest problem. I personally haven't had to deal with this, you know, thankfully myself, but I would be very right. much on the edge of deciding, do I ignore this because I don't agree with right. the legal aspect of it or do i just do what i'm told and follow orders i mean and that's part of the problem i mean because i don't want to risk myself finding myself getting sued for violating someone's constitutional rights that right right i should never no, have taken any action for no no thanks to call mike and I, I understand that that's kind of the the balancing act that, that's there wiley and racine wiley you're on wtmj good afternoon good afternoon jeff thank you what do you this, think? This uh, situation, well, it's interesting. I mean, the, the requirements are 10 or more. They can't have 10 or more. Is that, is that the ruling in your, your county? No, the park, the, the park is, let me see, the park is closed, period. But the rule, the rule is it, it, it's closed, but the exception is um, groups of no more than four persons. Um, the park is open for walking, hiking, biking, running, and similar activities, provided individuals comply with social distancing. That's what it says. And yeah. he's there with his wife and his kid. Yeah, and here, here we are, and I appreciate the uh, 
former caller's uh, position and his service and his, his thoughts. And I, I agree with, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're, as an officer, mm-hmm. officer now, I have 20 years in and another 22 in the legal field. Uh, SS uh, rings a bell. And, uh, I don't like it. He didn't like it. But in this case, um, uh, uh, just to prevent, you know, embarrassment, because we understand all too often these officers are taking these extreme uh, positions and they're putting people into custody. Now, yeah. uh, here maybe on the thin line, this is lightly in violation because they're not actually walking. They're playing, uh, I think they were playing yeah. uh, uh, catch or something. T-ball. T-ball. Uh, okay, yeah. T-ball. But, you know, practicing. I love baseball for 50-plus years of my life. But um, at the same token, if he wants to show a case, I mean, you, you take the arrest and then you, you hash it out in court. Mm-hmm. But who well, really that, has yep. the time? You know, who well, that, has that's the it. energy? That's the energy yeah, no. we're wasting, you know. Well, Wiley, thank, and, uh, thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean, no, I see. I'm, 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 I'm with you. That's and of course, this story has gone national. I mean, this is something that people are talking about all across the country. I, I get, I have a, I have a text that actually kind of mirrors what I wrote down when I was first looking at this. Jeff, can anyone apply any common sense anymore? When the police saw three people, obviously a household unit versus the 10 to 15 that were reported, they should have used common sense and ignored the complaint, to which I say amen. You know, we we do have, again, it's the virus vigilantes, the people that are calling and trying to dime out their neighbors for things like that and all, and and sometimes that's going to be valid. But, you know, you get the call, you respond, you see it's not what you told. I, I think you drive on. I think the police were wrong for stopping in the first place, all right? But they did stop. Then the texter continues, similarly, the guy and his family should have cooperated and dispersed and perhaps returned later. Why duress, Why does everything have to create conflict? See, and I, I agree with that, too. In this particular case, the police were wrong. I think the guy was legally entitled to be here, and I think the city has taken the position that, that he was. At the same time, all right, I, as, as I always say, you, know, you, you have a confrontation with the police, you, you cooperate. Because generally speaking, what happens is if, if you don't cooperate, bad things are going to happen. You're going to get arrested. Things are going to escalate. In this case, the police were wrong. I don't think there's any question about it. And, and yes, the guy is right. They need more training. Maybe it should be apologized to, all, all those types of things. But at the same time, if you just say, no, I think you're wrong. We're, we're allowed to be here. We're, we're, no, we're not 12. We're a family unit, et cetera, et cetera. You, you, you identify yourself. You walk away. You call the media. You do everything you did. You call the media. You call your city council person. You know, and you say, "Look, this the, these these police officers don't understand this rule, or they're in a power trip, or whatever argument you want to make. I don't know, but but you don't end up, you know, being in handcuffs. So, you know, this is one of these situations where, honestly, I think everybody's wrong. <laughs> Just everybody is wrong. The the, the virus vigilante shouldn't have called. The police shouldn't have confronted the guy when they found out the report wasn't accurate. And the guy should have cooperated and, and moved on and lived a fight another day. And we could all just get over this. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. When I was a child, my family would travel down to western Kentucky where my parents were born. And there's a backwards old town that's often remembered So many times that my memories are warm And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lay 
Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late and asking. Mr. Peabody's cold train is all lit away. Well, sometimes we travel. Right Welcome back, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. That, of course, is the late John Prine. Probably his signature song, a song called Paradise. It's actually my favorite John Prine song. John Prine uh, passed away yesterday at the age of 73. He was, in my opinion, probably the most gifted singer, songwriter, folk singer, country songwriter of, of certainly my generation. And um, if you've never found John Prine's music, I, I encourage you to do it. I sent out a couple tweets earlier with, with as a primer with some of the the, the the quintessential the, the place to start with John Prine songs, but uh, it, it's a, it's a huge loss for those of us who are music fans. All right, if you're a regular listener of this program, you know that I am a huge sports fan. My wife gives me all sorts of static. People will say, "What sort of sports does does Jeff watch on TV?" And the answer will be, "Whatever's on." And 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 there there is an element of truth to that. And I mean, I, I'm the guy that. You know, puts on the baseball game, love baseball, and turns down the sound, and then you know cranks up the cranks up Bob Euchre and and Jeff Levering. You know, listens to the games like that. Same thing with the Packers. But I I, I love sports. So the professional sports is on hiatus for the foreseeable future. It looks, and again, more and more likely to me that the NBA is just not is is just going to be over with. I, I just. I don't see how, given the time they have left, that they can just sort of resume the, the season. It's not going to be the same. It's unfortunate, especially for the Bucks, but I, I think it's going to end up being, let, let's start again in, in October. Now, baseball, different situation. I, I'm a 20-game season ticket holder to the Brewers. Tomorrow night, just kind of, I'm sitting here at my desk looking at the tickets. Tomorrow night, my buddy Evan and I were scheduled to be at Miller Park to see the Brewers play the Mets. This would have been our third game of the year. That's not going to happen. And I'm looking through my various tickets, and I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Games in May, eh, probably unlikely. Games in June, I don't know. Um, very much up in the air. So right now, as we start figuring out how to reopen this country, I, I think it's, it's going to be gradual. We're not just going to snap our fingers and say, okay, everybody goes back to normal. And I, it might not be all across the country at, at the same time. I mean, we were talking about you know Broadway closing in New York. Well, it, it might be that you decide that, okay, things aren't that bad in, in St. Louis or in Arlington, Texas. But the, the nature of, for example, baseball is teams travel. You know, all right, so it, it might be fine. Maybe maybe you can safely open up your city to play, but what about you know, the, the team when you're supposed to travel to uh, a hotbed, or, you know, whether it's Washington, D.C. or New York or whatever? How, how are you going to do that? How can you just open up everything at once? And my answer is you probably you, you can't in the immediate future, which makes me wonder, and I, I don't take any pleasure in saying this at all, but it makes me wonder, you know, are you going to have a baseball season this year? I sure as heck hope so. But, you know, what, what is it going to look like? All right. Well, Major League Baseball, of course, doesn't want to lose revenue. There, there's nothing wrong with that. 
don't want to lose revenue. This is costing them millions and millions of dollars. And it's costing all sorts of other people, other businesses, millions and millions of dollars as well. You know, Fox Sports that, that, that broadcasts the game. WTMJ that, you know, does the Brewers games and stuff. It, it, it's a huge impact. So we want sports back as soon as possible. Plus, it offers a release for people. I mean, it, you get your mind off things. I've been telling lots of my friends who are obsessed with the news and who sit for three or four hours a night just watching the, the cable news channels where the, the news seems like it's almost relentlessly bad and they're just fascinated by it. My comment is, God, you know, turn, turn, off, the, turn off the news. Watch something else. Put your mind at rest. Well, anyhow, Major League Baseball is trying to figure out some way to salvage the season. And so one of the ideas that they're throwing around is assembling all the teams and all the players in Arizona, where, where you have essentially spring training. Then what they're going to do is start the baseball season with all the players confined to wherever they are, presumably like around Phoenix, Arizona, or, or whatever. Everybody's going to be confined in a particular area. Start playing games in various spring training stadiums scattered you know, throughout Arizona, and also the Arizona Diamondbacks play at, at Chase Field. But start playing games. Now, the games, the way I understand the plan, would not be open to the public. But they would be televised events. So essentially, you know, the Brewers would, would start their season, whatever their season's going to look like, and they'd be playing in an empty spring trading stadium game, and it would be on TV. So Brewers fans could at least get their fix that way. The players, like I say, would be locked up, essentially locked up. They would be in, in quarantines. The teams would be staying, like, in the same hotels, I guess, and, and they'd be ordered to, like, stay away from people. Their family would be elsewhere. But you would start the season playing the games in Arizona, the games would be not in front of people, and they would be televised. So, I mean, this is an effort to try to get the season back on track if it were to come into play, and um, I think probably, you know, let's be honest, I mean, generate generate broadcast revenue, because if Major League Baseball doesn't go on, all, all this money that they're getting or committed from, like, the TV networks in particular, that, that money's going to get given back. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am a baseball fan. I want to see the Brewers back playing as soon as possible. I want to go to the games at Miller Park. I love it. It is a big part of my summer. Having said that, this particular idea, I just think it's a non-starter for a lot of different reasons. If you can't, and my, my point would be, if you can't bring the sport back the right way, I, then, then just don't do it. Wait until we can do it right. Now, what is what is the right way? Does that mean maybe you play the games, uh, you, you play the games without fans, but you still you play them in home stadiums? Maybe, but I guess the the idea of just watching a game in an empty stadium on television from Arizona just for the sake of playing the game, I it's tough for me to get behind that, and I want to see sports back believe me as much as you do maybe even more i also don't know how you make this work for the players because you're going to tell all of them that you're you're now we're, we're going to separate you from your families and you're going to be confined in, in these areas and you're not going to be able to travel i i just 
I understand what they're trying to do. I support the theory. I just, I don't think this is the right way to do it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But it does get people back to playing ball. What do you think about the idea? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, to the point of what we're discussing, are you missing baseball yet? Well, we are too, and we're here to give you your Brewers fix. Tune in to WTMJ tonight, 6 o'clock, for another edition of Brewers Classic. We go back to the Brewers' magical 2011 run, Game 5 of the NLDS between the Brewers and the Diamondbacks. Bottom of the 10th, Carlos Gomez on second, Niger Morgan at the plate, Bob Euchre on the call. One of the best games I have ever been to in person. Tune in this evening at 6. Brewers Classic It's sponsored by Drake Camp Heating and Cooling, Boucher Automotive, Previa, and Badger Mutual. I... I can't, I can't wait till baseball gets started, right? I, I really can't. But this idea that we're going to try to start the season and we're going to play it in empty stadiums in, in Arizona, just essentially for TV, I, I understand it gives people their fix, but you know what? Maybe I'm just enough of a traditionalist to say, if you can't do the season right, wait until you can. Let's start with Mike on the south side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Thanks Mike. for taking my call. Hello. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I agree with you 110%. Lives over money matter more than this health crisis that we're having, this pandemic since 1918. I mean, if you have just one person, let's say everyone's passive. There's 330 million Americans right now in the United States. If one still has it, we're going to have a second wave all over again. So whether it takes 6, 12, 18 months, you know, health matters more than anything, and profits don't matter. It's it's a livelihood and the health of a nation. Yeah. Well, it, it yeah. I mean, th- thanks. No, no. Thank, thanks. So I I get it, and I, I guess I mean, I'm I'm trying to to just like figure out how this works logistically. So you you essentially lock up all the players, and you tell them you can't be around your family, you can't be around your friends, and then then what happens when? Somebody does come down again with the coronavirus thing. Are, are you going to just put it all on hold again? Yes, I, I just I appreciate the need and the desire to try to get stuff done. And I'm I'm the guy saying we need to get back to normal sooner rather than later. I just the, the kind of made for television events just for the sake of doing something and and trying to make a little bit of money. And there's nothing wrong with with making money. Just from my perspective as a fan, I would, would I watch. Yeah, because like I say, as my wife says, you know, he only watches sports when it's on. But I, I, I just, I don't think it would be the same. Now, maybe that doesn't matter that it's not the same because it would be, it would be something. But I, I just, I think, I think it's going to flop if they try to do it. And there's all these logistical issues. David and Eagle. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How's it going? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Um, I'm a big baseball fan. I don't think it would be the same, but it's better than nothing. I think <laughs> if them, MLB does it smart, and they make sure that the players are tested and they are free of having coronavirus and they're sequestered to their hotels and just go to the fields and play play the game, it's not the same, but I look at it this way. I watch, you know, it's, Fake. I watched WWE wrestling, 
And right. just this past week, she had WrestleMania, and it's right. been in Tampa, Florida. But they had it at their development center in Orlando with no fans in attendance. It was their biggest draw for any pay-per-view ever. Because <laughs> people are so, so starved to watch something that they, they signed up and they spent the money to see it. Yeah, because people are just desperate to see something, whether it's sports entertainment or sports. Yeah, if they, I mean, the only other alternative is push it out until the All-Star game. Yeah. And start Let me the ask season you this. after the All-Star break. Do you think we're going to have a baseball season this year? Honestly, I don't think we will. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank, thank, thanks for the call. I pre, yeah. No, I, I, I mean, time is running. I mean, I'm just, I'm, thanks for the call. I really do appreciate it. I, I, I mean, Broadway's now off till at least June. And, and like I keep saying, I mean, this is the problem. It, it's one thing. To, to start reopening. It's one thing to even say, okay, we're going to let restaurants open. We might put, you know, personal limits on the number of people who come in. We're going to let restaurants open. We're going to let the barbers go back to work and the hairdressers and the dog groomers and all that stuff and the people that run the picture framing shops. That That's one thing. It, it's another thing. When are we going to be able to say, okay, we're comfortable letting 45,000 people gather? And, and that that's kind of a, a different sort of question. And I my answer is when this whole thing started, I, I thought, yeah, we're, we're going to be playing baseball by, we're going to be playing baseball by by May. I don't know. I just don't know if that's the case. As I see more and more of these sports getting kicked back to the fall and into the winter. All right, let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. We'll find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's afternoon news. This is Jeff Wagner.